Hello. Before we get started with the show, just a quick announcement. The tickets for our upcoming live event in November in London are now on sale. So you better want to get your ticket now or maybe while listening to the show. And all you have to do is go to troubleturps.com slash live. That's troubleturps.com slash live. Get your ticket, support us and please spread the word. And now on with the show. Are we speaking off the record here? said on the outtakes stays on the outtakes it's because that's the stuff that people actually listen to you guys can tell we're super professional <laughs> i don't know easter bunny that's my snack <laughs> oh my god i'm already establishing a really bad reputation i haven't even said anything yet you should i no like you can oh no let me people who use fancy words i hate people like that right Oh, shut up now. That'd be hilarious. It's not a bit like with Dirty Dancing where you go, this is my dance space, that is your dance space, like my interpreting space, your interpreting space. Stay out of my space because I need my space. Jonathan hates it when we say it, so we, we try to make it a point of saying it every single episode. I say that all the time. That came out wrong, didn't it? Trouble some terps is like Las Vegas meets interpreting. It's a shark tank. Oh, you make it sound, you make it sound terrible. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Troublesome Terps, the podcast about the things that keep interpreters up at night. This is the second installment in our two-part series on professional associations. And once again, we have not one, but two very special guests. First off, It's the chair of VKD, and this is not the Vereinigung der Köche in Deutschland, not the German Cooks Association. No, it's the German Association of Conference Interpreters, Karen Walker. She's been a member of the association since 2011 and a member of the executive board since 2015 and a chair since 2018, the chair actually. She's also been an active member of AIC since 2007. Karen is a hybrid in the truest sense, British-born and raised, schooled in Germany, back and forth for some time. And now she's settled in Bonn with a neurotic cat and a serious love for a job, as she tells us. And speaking of job, uh, Karen and I actually both work for the European institutions. Have we ever worked on the same assignment, Karen? No, we have not. We've been sort of almost assigned to the same missions, but it never really happened, so... Maybe soon. <laughs> Maybe one day soon. I know that we have exchanged glossaries, and you've been you've been very helpful with glossaries at, at customs some, chemistry for customs chemistry, indeed. Oh my God. <laughs> Where you needed all the help you could get. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But let's not talk about that. Moving on swiftly. <laughs> yeah, moving on, <laughs> moving right along to our second guest. Um, we have with us the head of the German region of AIC and fellow podcaster, actually, of Pommes Buddha fame, Sarah King. Sarah has also been a longtime member of VKD, as well as an AIC member since 2016. She was elected regional secretary of the German region during a fantastic regional meeting in Hamburg in 2017, I was told from a reliable source. She holds degrees from uh, Cologne University, but also from the University of New South Wales in Sydney, Australia. She started off her career as an in-house translator and interpreter at the German Federal Criminal Police Office, or BKA, as we call it in Germany. And she's been a freelancer since then and now lives not in Bonn, but in Cologne. And she tells us she's an all-weather cyclist. So, Sarah, how's the weather today in Cologne? Did you do any cycling? 
Um, the weather was fine today, but uh, um, I just did some work today, so I wasn't actually outside. Okay, well, that happens to the best of us, I guess. Um, <laughs> and funnily, as far as we could verify, I am apparently the only one who is not a member of both associations, whatever that means. I don't know. I used to be a member of Falca Day, but I'm not anymore. So there you go. <laughs> well, I think Jonathan's also not a member, right? <laughs> I, I am completely the odd one out because I am not a member of AIC. That's true. And I'm not a member of Falca Day. That's fine, yeah. but I did I did want to introduce my two lovely co-hosts, of course. First of all, you already heard the dulcet tones from Scotland, Jonathan Downey. It's lovely to be back. It's good to do another Troublesome Terp show and to talk about a subject that's so close to my heart and so close to lots of people's hearts. I'm really looking forward to see where we go with this. So am I. <laughs> and of course, let's not forget the second Alexander in this team, Alexander Gansmeyer from beautiful Munich. Hello. How are you, Alex? Hi guys, I'm pretty good. I'm actually really excited to have so many chairs and boards on here. I feel like we're doing like a carpentry workshop. Miles <laughs> <laughs> mm, getting his pun game on early in the show. That's great. <laughs> you, no one is allowed to beat me at puns. That's not allowed. <laughs> I, I, I was also going to say that I think it's Sarah lives in Cologne, where I did a big chunk of my PhD in Bonn. Uh, most of my field research was in Bonn, and so Bonn and Cologne is a That's part of my favorite part of the whole world. So. Right I'm a big so. fan of both. <laughs> right and I don't know why every German that I say I like Bonn gives me this look as if I've just confessed to some heinous crime. Bonn is lovely. <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, I, I, I just thought we, we start things off, you know, very simply, and we talk a little bit about what our two guests do in their respective associations. And um, I already introduced Sarah as being the regional secretary of the German region of AIC. Um, Sarah, maybe you can just quickly explain how that works in AIC, because there are no national associations, but instead there are regions. But maybe you can just give us the gist and, and what that means for you, so what your job actually is in, in AIC Germany. Right, sure. Um, so AIC is a world association, so it's an international association, and uh, we don't speak of uh, countries, but we speak of regions. So we have several regions. Uh, most regions consist of one country, but there are also some regions that consist of several countries. And the, each region has a regional bureau, which is kind of like a board And the regional secretary is the head of the board, so to speak. So um, we are we have three board members, the treasurer and the AB, so advisory board member, and me, the regional secretary. And my tasks are varied. I, I handle relations with members. I contribute, uh, of course, also to some issues that are of interest to co uh, conference interpreters because we do some work with, like, on projects or we... Um, Yeah, we just um, contribute something to um, those issues. Also issues of sign language interpreters because we have sign language interpreters as members as well. Um, we, of course, we support research because we sometimes, we closely cooperate with the universities. We sometimes get inquiries by students writing master's theses and so on. Then, of course, I have classic administrative tasks, answering email inquiries and so on. And as I said, also coordinating some of the things that our different departments do Uh, PR, Young Interpreters Department, the Continued Professional Development Department, and so on. Yeah, and not not to get too deep into the weeds of German association law, but um, is is the German AIC region sort of independent in terms of how it's organized, or is it actually just just part of AIC? It is a part, just a part of AIC, because we, we don't uh, we're not a legal entity in Germany, and uh, that has pros and cons. But we don't need to get into the nitty gritty of uh, Vereinsrecht or something like that. So that's, that's a plot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and 
Uh, and Karen, how how would you say is that different to how the FAUCAD is set up or, or to, to the work that you do as head of the association? Do you really want to talk about fine space? I could do that for <laughs> Be my guest. I can always I, cut it out no, later. <laughs> no, but um, that's maybe one of the biggest differences between FAUCAD and IE Germany because we are an entity in our own right, which comes with, uh, I guess, some advantages, but also some disadvantages in that we have to take care of a great deal more paperwork, I guess. Um, so there's a lot of administrative stuff that we have to do, notably whenever there's a change in the statutes, we have to go and get that registered with the courts. Um, whenever there's a change in the board, which can happen um, normally only every three years, but you just never know. Uh, so there's that. And also Falkadi is um, maybe that's a similarity to eight. We are part of BDU, which is a, Germany-wide association for translators and interpreters. Um, but we are within that construct, we're a separate entity, which does not mean that we don't have to coordinate a lot with them. Um, they provide, let's say, the framework within which we operate, administrative, technical, IT, um, which means that that is the advantage of us being part of something bigger because we would otherwise have to build a whole kind of IT background ourselves, which we don't have the resources to do. But it also means having to coordinate, I'd say probably about 60% of, of the moves that we make. And that can take quite a lot of time. It's a little bit frustrating because we are the only association within BDU that takes care exclusively of conference interpreting. And very often we're seen as the kind of exotic people who consider themselves to be a little bit different, which we are, but there we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so uh, maybe another difference between Falkadi and AIC is that we don't really have, because we're not global, um, the same kind of visibility. We don't have the same kind of political clout. We don't have the same history. Um, we're only about 15 to 20 years old. And so uh, when it comes to sort of lobbying work, um, that is maybe not something we can do quite as well because people don't really let's say not people, the wider public doesn't really take us seriously yet because we don't have that visibility. But on the other hand, we do get a lot of grassroots work done. So we have a wide range of issues um, at the grassroots level, at the, the level where people actually do interpreting that we can take care of. And that's, that's probably what keeps us busy most of the time. And since you mentioned lobbying, but I, I think that's one of the areas where you can rely on sort of the clout that the BDU has, has as the umbrella organization of all the, well, it's Germany after all, so it has to be federalized, of course. So there's all these sort of member organizations. But then, of course, the BDU on a federal level can actually lobby. And I think they have been lobbying as well, increasingly um, to lawmakers or, you know, big, big associations. So um, can you maybe just briefly describe some of that? Did you know, I mean, were you involved in that? Yeah, well, I wasn't personally involved, but I've been monitoring what's been going on because at the meetings that we have to attend, um, if we're a member of the BDU, uh, you get told about these things. So for instance, they've been lobbying uh, for more qualified interpreters for the more exotic languages, because when all the refugees came to Germany in 2015, there was a massive need for interpreting then, community interpreting in that case. And there simply weren't any people on hand who were suitably qualified um, to interpret for the refugees who obviously had to speak to the authorities to get their asylum claims checked and so on. So for a very long time, there was this massive vacuum where people were just flooding in, pretending to speak German, pretending to be neutral, um, and very often not really doing a very good job at all. And the media were 
basically jumping on that and, and uh, blaming the interpreters, blaming the authorities for not doing their job and not verifying that people were doing a good job. So there was this big vacuum, and I know that BDU has made a lot of effort recently to A, show the government that it is really important to work with qualified people, B, to fund the training that is necessary, obviously, to get people who have these languages, because there's not that many of them, uh, to go out and get proper training. And they've also been providing training uh, on behalf of the, oh, now you've caught me out because I don't know the English name of the BAMF, the Bundesamt für Migration und Flüchtlinge, so basically the authorities that take care of um, migrants and refugees. So that's one thing they've been doing. They've also been lobbying heavily to uh, try to find a better way to get um, old age pension uh, arrangements for freelancers. That is a massive thing. Um, that the government initially wasn't very creative in handling. They wanted to force everyone into the statutory system, which for freelancers simply does not work because for a very long time they haven't been paying into the statutory pension funds. Um, they weren't going to recognize whether people had other assets, for instance, and uh, Bidu has been instrumental in showing the government that there's more ways to get to where they want to go. And, and to allow for some sort of flexibility for freelancers. So that's something that benefits the whole community of, of uh, freelancers, uh, here specifically people who work with language. And um, this is not something that we have the time or the resources to get into, but BDU has a big, big following in Germany and they are recognized by the people in power as a force to be reckoned with. And we have to be grateful to them, it has to be said. That's I mean, th yeah. th that gives me a slight side question because I'm on the board of ITI and I've found in our board meetings having both translators there to do the nitpicking and interpreters there to get people to keep going is quite a nice balance. Um, <laughs> as a board member of ITI, I have to ask, having an entire association full of interpreters, on the one hand, it sounds like a dream, on the other hand, it sounds like a bun fight waiting to happen. Um, how do you manage the the stereotypical interpreter behaviours, like wanting to talk all the time? Want to, you know, how do you manage to have balance in an association that's just got interpreters in it? Well, trust me, there's enough nitpickers in any association so that's definitely that's not sorry if i may just for the other question that because karen uh, just said a few uh, very good examples um about also things that are similar between our associations because we also we're also concerned with the same um issues obviously because they concern all conference and pro especially professional conference interpreters and we also have um been working with uh, the uh, german office for migration and refugees um with uh, one of our members is very very committed to uh, one of the projects that helps professionalize um the lay interpreters that work for for that office and also um yeah, other things that are really similar. So we have a lot that we can, and we have an exchange as well, so we don't need to reinvent the wheel all the time. Uh, so that's one good thing. Um, as for Jonathan's question, I think um, you have a bit of everything in any association. You, you know, you have a cross-cut, cross-section through society, like anywhere else. So you get all kinds of things. And the thing is, I always feel that it's particularly lively because you have interpreters that are generally, I guess, a little bit more, uh, you know, extroverted than <laughs> normal average people um, and it's, it's it's very nice because it keeps things going and it, every time we have like a, a meeting in person actually I really enjoy it because it's proper networking and it's proper like people being very active and having great ideas and uh, there's a lot of motivation there and enthusiasm and I really enjoy that it's really a pleasure working with interpreters.
They they are an opinionated bunch. You, you you're, you're not wrong, and they do like the, uh, well, they have to like the sound of their own voices, otherwise they couldn't do their job. But um, I think it's a question of taking this out of the Falkadi level, not talking about the BDU anymore. Just basically working out who's who has the energy and the inclination to turn criticism into something constructive. Um, we do deal uh, quite often with people who love to complain. They love to criticize but they're not really willing to do anything to change things. And basically it's weeding out the people who have something to say. And that can be critical. I don't have a problem with that, but what I'd like to hear after they criticize is maybe a constructive suggestion on making things better. Um, and it's identifying those kinds of people that, that, um, that is a bit of an art, let's say. Um, yeah. And, and once you sort of show people that, yes, we're listening, and yes, we're expecting good ideas from you. Why don't you help us uh, change whatever you, you have to complain about? Um, you, you do come up with quite good results. So it's a question, as I said, of, of encouraging people to open their mouths and say what they don't think is, is quite right, but at the same time, encouraging them to, to help us do something about it. And uh, I think we've been pretty good at doing that because we have a lot of working groups that are working on individual issues because we're also very great at, at delegating things. <laughs> because uh, <laughs> the board can't do everything. Survival um, skill. <laughs> so you have to delegate, you know. Um, and then, of course, what our job is as the board is to just hold the reins and, and make sure people don't go off the rails or um, overstep the mark or things like that. But, I mean, generally, if you've got an eye on what people are doing and if you're encouraging and supportive, I think it, it can work really well. I was going to say, I bet your approval of the minutes of the previous meeting just flies by with no translators there. It's straight through. Because I've noticed that interpreters look at the minutes of a meeting and go, yep. Translators look at the same minutes and go, well, on line three, there's a comma splice. And really, <laughs> <laughs> not that I'm stereotyping oh, at all. No, you're not, not at all. But Sarah, you were going to say something. Yeah, I was uh, just uh, to what uh, Karen said as well. Um, I, I find what helps there is as well to, to break it down to um, uh, a regional level or in Ike, of course, it's called sub-regional level because the regions are the countries. But um, so we've just, or we're trying to start to revive the, the sub-regional activities a little bit because we find that every time um, that people meet in a smaller groups, it's much more efficient and people are mm. more... Um, you know, they also they feel more addressed personally and they feel that they can contribute something and they can make a difference. And um, it really helps to have like smaller, smaller units, so to speak. And uh, we find that um, then um, if a region, if, once you get them to the table, I think that is the important and um, sometimes difficult step to, to motivate them to come there in the first place. But once that's happened, I think there's a dynamic that is quite, uh, quite nice, actually, and quite constructive. I have a question that I wanted to um, not only to direct to Sarah and Karen, but potentially also to, to Alex, or maybe you can actually start with this, because I mentioned in the beginning that uh, there are many interpreters who are members in both associations, which maybe at first glance doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. So yeah, maybe directly to you, Alex, uh, the question is, what what's the point? Why be in two associations that cater to interpreters? If If that's a question you can answer. <laughs> more or less well, straightforward yeah no i think it's i think it's a very valid question because of course it costs money so you're wondering why would i spend this twice the money on kind of the same service that i would be getting but i don't think i think there's definitely an overlap between fakadi and aik in germany but i don't think they offer identical things necessarily i feel 
like particularly because interpreting isn't a protected um, occupation and we don't necessarily have a trade union I just feel like the more we can do and the more that we can kind of represent our profession as a whole the better it is and so if I can actually support two organizations fighting for making my professional life better then that's obviously great so why wouldn't I do that so I think that's definitely just like the on a, on a very basic level why you should be supporting both associations um, I think the second step, and that really goes into the, the German model of VKD and then the global model of AIC, is that, of course, AIC has a much wider reach. It's the largest interpreting association in the world. So I think, as Karen was saying and as Sarah was saying, of course, it just has a lot of clout around the globe. So I think that, of course, helps. And you want to be part of that. You want to be in the loop. You want to know what's going on around the globe with all the framework agreements, with international organizations. So that's kind of where you, you tap all the knowledge and resources within AIC. And of course, also, AIC members are around the globe. So if you're organizing an, an, an international event in, I don't know, South Africa, for example, you can find uh, qualified AIC members, and it's much easier to kind of get into touch with them without any sort of hesitation if they know that you're part of the association because you're less likely to be like, like fishy or shady in any sort of way, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> Um, potentially trustworthy. <laughs> potentially trustworthy. Exactly. That, that's really. Good. I, I love how you're selling Aik to me. I like you said. You know, Aik members are hopefully not less. Hopefully, hopefully not less that. likely to be fishy. <laughs> that, that is incredibly. I mean, I, I knew Germans were into precision, but that is the most precise description of the qualities. Did I just put, put in an Aik member? Like that was quite off. I feel like that applies to every every and any association around the globe, though. So this is not anything AIC specific. But then also Falcadi, I feel um, I used to feel like Falcadi was much more active in Germany because it had the different regional groups, a specific sub kind of sub regional groups like <laughs> AIC now has as well in the sub regional sphere. But yeah, they were doing like all these different regional meetings in uh, Bavaria and Baden Württemberg, and it had like five now six different regional groups where they were also doing uh, regular meetings, they were doing Christmas parties, they were doing workshops that were organized. So it was a very, very lively exchange and it was kind of easy to tap into the, the, the I don't know, what do you call it? The spirit of the organization, if you will, just because there's always something there for you. Um, but I do feel, however, like Sarah, you were saying, there's these sub-regional groups in AIC and you're, you're trying to like get more people involved in that. And I, I can really see that AIC is, I feel now much more on the radar of people again, because it is much more active again. And everybody's kind of putting their energy into it and like putting on more, uh, well, just more activity, you know? I heard you now even have a Twitter account, so that's awesome. Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> just launched last week. So yes. yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> getting more and more into, uh, I don't know, <laughs> the world uh, 2.0, maybe not 2.0 or 4.0, but it's, um, it's lovely that this worked out. <laughs> yes, exactly, because we're coming from a, a history and I don't know, we have to build up things slowly. And we're also, uh, you have, must not forget that we're, we have 330 members in Germany, so we're um, smaller than, than Farkadi is, so um, that's also something where... Yeah. Yeah, but, but of course, there's also a lot of uh, members in both associations that are in both associations. So, you know, Falkadi might have 660 members, but I don't know, maybe half of them are in AIC. I'm, I'm just guessing. I'm just probably way off base. But, you know, I feel like there's a big overlap. And 
I feel like now both associations are actually using kind of those synergies that can be created from having all these members either work together in the booth, you know, it might be like an IAEEC member and a FACAD member in the booth, or both of them are in both associations. And I've actually had in, in the past, literally years ago, I've had some negative experience about uh, being part of one association and then encountering a person of another association and they were saying, oh, you shouldn't be in that. I don't want to work with you if you're in that association. But now I feel like it's much more amicable. And, you know, there have been like the market research that we were doing uh, as kind of a collaborative effort of both associations. So I feel like that kind of strengthens not only the associations, but also kind of the, the feeling of togetherness in the association. Stronger together, to paraphrase Hillary Clinton. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. It's, it's really great to hear that as well, to have some feedback from a member, uh, because we also had that, like, uh, I think last year when we did, um, when we had our regional meeting and we had a meeting of young interpreters as well, they gave us um, quite a bit of feedback saying we were quite surprised how um, welcomed we were and how warm-hearted everyone was. I mean, it, it sounds like we had a really bad reputation in the past or something for being like this ivory tower kind of thing. And I think this is really, really changing a lot and has changed a lot. It, yeah. Members are much more accessible and um, when there are networking events, you feel, you know, more at home and it's like a family too. Yeah. I can definitely, I can definitely confirm that, and, and also what what Alex said. I mean, I've been a member in Ike for eleven years, and I can remember how absolutely terrified I was even to open my mouth. I mean, it was that kind of place. Mm. Obviously, I was green at the time, uh, which probably played a role as well. But I, I, I've seen it develop into a much friendlier place, and it's become younger as well. Um, I would hesitate to sort of necessarily conclude that there's a correlation there, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean, though. I mean, it's yes, like yes. people who've, who've um, trained, let's say, over the last ten to fifteen or twenty years, they they've come to know they've come to know the market as as it is today, and I think it is a very different place with very little privilege extended now to members, and um, and they, I don't think that there's anything to be gained from from being arrogant about our profession or. Um, we're no longer special anymore. We really have to fight for recognition. We have to do a super good job um, because there literally are too many of us, uh, let's face it. And um, I think people have, have understood that there's strength in numbers and that uh, we, we are stronger together to use that horrible cliche, but there it is. And as for the relationship to Falkadi, um, certainly in Germany, there is much, much less tension if there's even any anymore. Um, of the kind of tension that, that they used to be, where if, if you were a Falkadim member, people wouldn't even look at you uh, if, if you were trying to gain admission to, to AIG. Um, and by the same token, if a long-standing uh, AIG member was even contemplating joining Falkadim, they probably would think, now this is, this is going to take a chip off my shoulder kind of thing. Um, so it's no longer like that at all. And I think it's high time that, that we kind of move forward together. I think this joint project that we've had with with Aik um, on on the market study and, and the interpreter study that's really helped as well. Just to demonstrate that really we're all facing the same kinds of problems, and there is absolutely no point in trying to improve matters uh, without looking to the left, to the right, behind us, in front of us. What are the people doing? Um, it's it's just been a really good collaborative effort, and uh, I think that has definitely helped. And and was. Was that a one-off thing, the, the, uh, this cooperation in the market research that you did? Or is, is there a move now towards a more structured cooperation? Or maybe, maybe 
the fact that so many people are members in both associations, has that helped the, you know, getting closer together and, and doing more projects together as well, maybe? Possibly. Um, I'm kind of hearing half question there, are we going to do this again? <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, it's been a massive amount of work. Alex and I were, were both uh, actively involved in the beginning and then we kind of phased ourselves out of it because uh, we, we had work to do for, for the board. But um, I think the idea is once we have a reasonable idea of the state of the market in Germany that we might want to repeat the whole exercise in five years' time just to see have things changed, um, Is there any shift in the amount of work that's going to a particular language combination? What about the modes? Um, is remote taking over? Is it becoming more popular? We'll stop you right there, Jonathan. I know you want to rant, and we will rant. I hope we will rant. <laughs> <laughs> that's just one of the things that we've picked up on um, for the first time, yeah. and, and I'm sure there will be things to be said about that in five years' time. So there, there, is, there is potential for, for a repeat of that maybe in, in five or six years' time. Yeah. As for further collaboration, um, I don't think there's anything on the cards right now. Although, um, again, remote. Uh, I know that in AIC there's a group working on the technical aspects of remote, whereas FOCID has decided to look a bit more at what the arrival of remote means for the more commercial aspects of the job. Will it mean that we have to agree to working alone? Will it mean that we have to work um, for hours by ourselves? Will we have to coordinate with colleagues who are maybe potentially hundreds of miles away? Will we be forced to... Um, bill by the hour instead of by the day for instance so all, the, all of those kinds of things that these are very new and I think uh, there's a lot to be gained by sharing that knowledge so yeah I, I do see some potential for collaboration in the future. I mean on the question of the AIC atmosphere it's not so much in Germany but I was in uh, Paris recently for the uh, Prix Denisa Seleskovic oh, yeah. um, I was there representing the European Society for Translation Studies And I was amazed at the warmth and the generosity of some of the more senior members of IEC that I expected to be, hate to say this, I expected them to, to be a little bit proud of themselves and they're right to be proud of what they achieved. But the atmosphere in, in that room was very much kind of enjoying what the profession has already done. And then I think now there's a growing awareness even amongst some of the the the, um, the father and mother figures of IEC kind of interpreting itself that the world now has changed so much. Um, I even now slightly bristle at talk of the market because certainly in the UK, it's very difficult to say what is and what isn't the market. I think the, the main growth market in the UK seems to be people who don't yet know that we exist. And so it's very difficult to measure the market in the UK because you, know, you, you could say the, this is the amount of jobs that happened this year. And then next year, you know, half those clients might not have interpreting again anywhere and you could have a whole bunch of new clients. And it's it, it doesn't seem as possible to kind of grab hold of a set number of clients and kind of shake money out of them until your career finishes. <laughs> um, I don't know if, if it's different in Germany, but for us, the idea of a repeat client is still something that's relatively rare. Uh, we're tending to still have to fight for individual assignments. Um It's something that we'd like to see more of, but it, I, I'm really pleased to see IEC and Falcade doing a market study so that we understand what's there, you know, what's happening. Um, and then from there, yeah, it will be lovely to see, you know, has everything changed in five years or is it just the same with this little peak of remote somewhere? It's good mm. to see. Um, I don't know. I don't want to put you too much on the spot, Sarah and Alex, maybe, but... Um... Do you have an idea where that comes from, this whole, you know, IEC is the ivory tower, this whole 
I don't even know if I would call it a reputation. Maybe it's always been sort of a myth, uh, because usually what tends to happen is is that it, it comes from, you know, a handful of people where people have had negative experience and then they, they tend to generalize. But I, I don't know, what what was your what was your personal impression or feeling, I guess, when when you were thinking about becoming a member of AIG or interacting with other AIG members, did did you have that perception of, you know, oh, well, it's AIG members, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, but what was your feeling? When I was a pre-candidate, um, I had the same experience that Alex described and that Jonathan just described, that I, I had a, a lot of respect for everyone. And I, I was very, I was a little bit, well, I was curious, but I also thought, okay, this, you have to, you know, be careful about what you say or do or <laughs> whom you talk to or something like that. That's what I felt before I joined or before I went to the first meeting. And then when I was there, I thought, oh, everyone's actually really nice, you know, and <laughs> everyone's welcoming and they are not, they don't treat me like, oh, you know, you're the, the newbie, you don't know what's going on. But on the contrary, I mean, there's still, there's, there's a, there's a line, there's like a glass ceiling, so to speak, you know, you know that you have to, you know, have some respect for those who are, full members and that it will take a while to get there. Um, and, and, and rightly so you have to, to work hard for membership, but it's never um, like you're not treated like someone completely below everyone else. You are treated as equal because you are also a professional and you're a conference interpreter. And um, yeah, I think I'm not sure where, where this whole image comes from. I, some people sometimes talk about the golden age of in, interpreters at the time when everyone had these really high flying jobs with traveling around with states people all the time and everyone was always flying first class. And I don't know what, like those things, those times that people talk about that obviously are no longer there, but where some of the attitude maybe might still prevail. Um, but to, to be honest, I think I have the same impression as you, Alex, that I think if any, if at all, these are just, you know, individual attitudes that sometimes seep through or sometimes you get a, a, a glimpse of them, but that's okay, you know, because everyone is different and, and, and uh, you know, people have their own history and their history in the profession and, you know, but I think the general atmosphere is very, um, yes, open-minded and and welcoming. So that's the main thing for me that I, because I'm a networker and I like I like being with people. And I mean, most interpreters are because after all, we need each other. We need lovely colleagues to work with. Uh, without them, we would be nothing. So a uh, network is everything. And 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 uh, as as long as you have that uh, on site when you're there, and you have this feeling, oh, there are people that I can connect with. Of course, it's always the same. Like you, you don't connect with everyone the same, but. I mean, there are always people that you can connect with and, um, and that have the same ideas about how, how a professional interpreter should work and how what they should do and should not do in the booth and how, you know, they prepare and things like that. And yes, that's, it's lovely to be in a, in a community like that. Yeah, I agree with Sarah. I think it's and I also agree with what you were saying, Alex, because it's kind of that that myth that kind of like seeps into the general fabric of the conversation because I remember when I was in the UK at university it was the first time that I ever heard about AIC and you know they were telling us oh you should definitely join but beware you know it can be very difficult and it's a very tough situation to get yourself into and then as you get the first jobs you start talking to your colleagues and it's kind of like in the news, you know, like in the news, you'd never hear, oh, today was a lovely day in Palestine. Nobody died. Nothing ever happened. No, everybody just always talks about the really bad things. And you only ever 
at these conference dinners with colleagues, you only ever hear, oh, you know, there was this one AE colleague and it was a really, really uh, tough nut to crack and it was very, very bad to work with them and it was a real diva moment. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, it must, they must all be like that. They must just all be like that. That's what I keep hearing over and over again. And then when I was preparing to come back over to Munich, the first thing that I heard, and I know that I knew that Munich was very, like a, a very AIC dominated market in a way. And I heard, watch out, Alex, Munich is a shark tank. It's a shark tank. And I was like, oh my God, Jesus Christ, what am I going to get myself into? And then I come over here and I start working with these, with, with these colleagues for the first couple of times. And I'm like, you know what, actually they're all super nice. And uh, yeah, like Sarah, you were saying, you're not going to get along with everyone. I mean, there are some people that I would rather steer clear of, but there's also some <laughs> colleagues in the Falcadi that are totally nuts. So, Amen. you know, you, you find these people every, you know, you find these people everywhere. So I think it's really just kind of like that myth that won't die down that Aik is like this really standoffish, horrible association that is super mean to everyone because that's no longer the case, I feel. If it ever was, yeah. I don't well, know. there's always the, the whole grain yeah. of truth thing to this, I guess. But so, yeah. So I I now want to know what reputation Falcade had because um, I jokingly used to nickname Ike the Freemasonry of interpreting because that, that was the impression that you it's the impression that you get from the outside <laughs> is that you need to know people who are already there, and then you have yeah, and then you have this initiation ceremony where you need to roll up one trouser leg and swear allegiance to um, yeah. And the secret handshake and all. See, well, no, Falcadi is not like that at all. But then it it does have a different history because it kind of grew out of what used to be, I guess, a subgroup of of BDU of of conference interpreters who were called the Berufsgruppe Konferenz, which was just like a little, uh, yeah, I guess just just a small group of people who who were conference interpreters rather than just interpreters in inverted commas. And um, they became, I guess, more numerous as time went on and decided that they needed um, their own structures and their own issues. And, and that is how Falkadi was born. Falkadi, as such, has been around um, under that name for 15 years. And I don't think it has that reputation because um, it's not a closed shop. And, and I think the, the, the paths of access to, to Falkadi are quite different from from um from Aik. I can remember that it was really quite tough to, to get those those days, those hundreds of days, um, in the beginning, especially because when you're starting out in the profession, you don't know the right people. Um, you might not have the maybe a hundred days a year that you need to, to get in quickly, that kind of thing. And and for Falkadi, there's simply a different path of access into the association and that makes it a lot easier for people to get in so that in itself I think gives it a whole other atmosphere at least to outsiders um it's it's not a it's not seen as a as a closed shop but as always you know make no mistake it, it gives people a terms of reference within which they're, they're supposed to work and uh, it's not a free-for-all you can't do what you want uh, you have to abide by the rules just like with Aik um so as long as you do a good job and more or less toe the line, um, you're going to be absolutely fine. So, yeah, in that sense, I think that the two associations are not that dissimilar. Mm. Yeah, that, that leads me to a, a topic that is very dear to my heart, which is um, when I talk to interpreting students, I always, well, recommend is probably not the right word. I urge them <laughs> to join a professional association as soon as they can. Um, because of the many benefits that we've, you know, to some degree already touched upon now, you know, the networking, getting to know the right people and, and, um, 
learning about how the market works and, and how they can probably integrate the market and so on and so forth. So I'm, I'm interested in um, how your two associations sort of approach students or potential interpreters, um, you know, cooperation with schools, for example, um, or, or the, the rules that you have in place, or, or maybe not rules, but uh, the systems you have in place to make it a little bit easier for people to to join up. Because I think, as, as you already um, mentioned, Karen, it, it's quite diffi- different how you enter the association. Um, so maybe you can talk a little bit um, about that, and maybe we, we can start with Sarah. Sure, yeah. Um, so we have, um, just as faculty has as well, uh, we have a department, so to speak, for young interpreters. So we have a person in charge of young interpreters, the Nachwuchs, Nachwuchsreferentin, uh, who um, takes care of that. That's uh, Andrea Borges at the moment. And uh, she basically goes through. <laughs> yes, she is. She's lovely. She's very communicative and very open. And uh, I think she has a good re- relation to the to the young interpreters um, that want to join Ike. So basically what you do when you're a young interpreter and you don't have the um, work experience yet that you need to join Ike, which is, I think at the moment is 150 conference um, days, um, is that you become a so-called pre-candidate. So you're not a candidate for membership, but you're a pre-candidate for candidacy for membership. (laughs) It's a bit complicated, but um, this whole thing is... um, so basically, you, um, you can you can collect those days that you need during that time, and this time period has just been extended in January, at the um, general assembly in Valencia has been extended to um, a default five years instead of three years. So it gives people more time. It is more realistic because we've been finding that people have more and more difficulty um, getting those days uh, um, in, the, in a short number of years. So this is one thing that we do to make it easier for for young interpreters to have access to. To again to become a member in the end. Um, also, basically, Andrea, our our um, person in charge of young interpreters, she reaches out to universities. She's in touch with the universities. She goes to universities and presents the association. She answers questions. She's always open uh, for anybody to approach her to ask uh, questions about Ike and how you join and what you, what they can do. Also at Ike, we have um, a young uh, interpreters program, a mentoring program, where young interpreters can be paired with a more experienced interpreter, and they they will kind of guide them or answer any questions they might have. That's not very well known, um, but uh, it exists. <laughs> and um, and also for a few years, we've had this um, young interpreters prize that um, that uh, we grant every year. So every year, the universities in Germany can uh, recommend um, a student. That who stands out and uh, they write an essay basically and uh, a committee uh, selects the person uh, that we believe is uh, the most um, deserving of, of that prize and um, that prize is then associated with certain advantages and also being introduced to certain uh, associate or uh, organizations in Germany where you could potentially work and things like that so yes so we have quite a few things in place for young interpreters and uh, they're always welcome I think also a good thing that not a lot of people might have on their radar is that every time there is a regional meeting for AIC, which is usually on the Saturday and the Sunday, the Friday before that, there is a big meeting where literally anyone can join. So even if you're not a member of the association, even if you're still at university or if you just graduated, you can go there and you can actually mix and mingle with all these established AIC members, pre-candidates. And it's a really good way of getting in touch and kind of like, kind of jumping over that that mental hurdle that you might have of kind of sort of getting in touch with the association and you see that they won't bite exactly that's one thing that uh, that we do before the regional versammlung the regional meeting um and also andrea is trying to uh, put it in place uh 
tw uh, twice a year even so even also that's more, great that would be nice to to be able to do that as well and also there's been um, Almuta Luba one of our very committed members and who was also um, used to be in charge of young interpreters at AIC she um, developed this this workshop or this um, this CPD uh, measure um, it's called interpreters for interpreters and that is also yeah. something that is free for all to to join to basically come for a day and listen to what uh, colleagues have to say about certain things and it's a very great um, platform for an exchange as well and this is no normally now also before um, the the weekend of the <laughs> regional assembly so there, there are quite a few things going on and um, yeah so you can you can just contact Andrea Borges the Nachwuchsreferentin on our website to find out. It's a good package deal. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I guess VKD has um, the Nachwuchsprogramm, the, the Young Interpreters Program as well, which is legendary, somebody recently said to me, and uh, uh, the, the BDU, the other sort of regional groups inside the BDU, they're, they're really interested in hearing more about it because they're, they're finding it quite difficult to, to find mentors. Um, so they've contacted us because they think it's a really good thing. So that's been around for 10 years and that started out um, quite small, but meanwhile, I think every year they have 20 tandems, so 20 mentors and 20 mentees. And I don't know of any young interpreter who's uh, tried to sign up to the scheme and hasn't found a mentor. So and very often mentors actually take two or three mentees if, if they, they are able to do so. And if the language combination fits and if they're in the right place, if they're in the right location. Um, and I actually think that that is super important because um, it's something that's available to uh, complete new joinees of, of Falkadi, it doesn't matter how experienced they are. Um, and it goes some way, I think, to preventing them from just slipping off, sloping off into the grey market, which I think is a particular danger when, when you've just come out of university, you don't really know what you're doing, um, the agencies have basically jumped on you because uh, you might have a website already and uh, they'll contact you to say, oh, we know that you need to get your days together, why don't you do this job, it's only five hours, you can work alone, it's not a problem and here's 300 euros for the privilege kind of thing. So if that's the kind of thing that people get confronted with when they're quite young and they don't quite know what to think of it and if they have somebody to call somebody they trust and say, look, I've been offered this thing. I really don't know what to do with it. How can I respond? I don't really want to do it, but I do need to make rent this month, that kind of thing. Um, then, then the mentor can give them some guidance on whether or not they should do it and why not. Uh, and if not, why not? Um, which is uh, equally important just to explain to people that this is not a good thing for you long term. You know, don't do it. Um, because I think it also signals to young interpreters that, we are part of a community, again, at the risk of sounding cliched. Um, people do look at what everyone else is doing. Uh, it's not a vacuum that you operate in. Uh, you know, gossip travels fast, I think, in, in the interpreting community. And if you make some bad choices and, and, and you ruin your reputation, that's, that's not, not a good thing. And uh, I would hate to hear of, of good young interpreters who, who get lost that way, get lost along the way. So I think it's a great way to sort of welcome them in, into the profession and just, just show them the ropes and, and, and demonstrate to them what's good and what's not and how to develop a gut feeling for the kinds of working conditions that are okay. Some are borderline, some are completely unacceptable. But I mean, who's going to tell you that when you're fresh out of uni? No, nobody really. So... Yeah, I, I love the fact that both associations have a, have an active program because I think it's very necessary.
Yeah, and I think it's it's not only for young interpreters because it's, it's also a, it's an ongoing process that you, you you talk to your peers and you find out what do they do, what do they feel is acceptable, what what's not, and sometimes you learn from each other. You know, you look to each other and you have maybe maybe role models that you, you can say, okay, um, she did that that in that quote and she she won the the contract, and um, and then you can say next time I will you know increase my price for you know by about I don't know something, and uh, and for example I had um, I had a colleague that what where we talked about um, a potential job. And then um, I said to her, basically, look, um, what I do normally, if I can't avoid working with um, uh, Bidul, like with this whispered interpreting equipment, which um, I tend to avoid, of course, if it's possible, but some, in some situations it is not. And then I said to her, look, what I do then is charge a consecutive um, fee because that's, it's, it's uh, you know, in difficult working conditions. And, and she didn't even think of that before. But then she said, okay, I'll do this. And she did it with her client and it was fine. So like those kinds of things, these little things where you can learn from each other and, and inspire each other maybe. And you can see also what's possible because, um, yeah, sometimes you look to the more senior colleagues and they've had clients for years that they've been working for for a really good conditions, really good fees. And you can you see as a young interpreter or even as a, a somewhat more junior interpreter that this is possible. It's not a myth. You can do it. And then if you can, if you're in the, in the position of maybe even working also as a translator or something else, and if you, if you can afford to turn down jobs that, you know, do not meet your really high standards, then do because that will just get you in the right place in the end, you know. So we can always learn from each other. That's one of the, the big um, advantages of associations too, where we always have an exchange and we can always see, look what's left and right and, yeah, be inspired. And I think as well that feeds into the, the market changes that we've seen that certainly in the UK there's a wider range of working conditions and there were even when I started out. I don't know if it's the same in Germany, but there's literally everything in the UK from, you know, what's wrong with doing an entire day of whispered interpreting on your own uh, all the way through to kind of brilliant conditions with fantastic booths and amazing sound engineers. And there's literally everything in between. And it's great to hear that I can Falca, they have these programs to sit with the young interpreters and go, well, okay, sometimes the lines are fuzzy, but there are still lines as to what is and isn't okay. Um, you know, a, a quick one for me is whispered interpreting on your own for extended period of times, you're not going to deliver quality, so why do it? Um, but people fresh out of university might not be aware of the tricks that people would try to play on them to get them to take substandard work. I mean, I... I had an agency say to me that there would be another interpreter there and I turned up and no one was there. And I had to do a, a full day of whispered interpreting on my own with the agency having promised me that there would be someone else there. And you think, actually, you need to understand, you need to see things, you need to learn to ask quite sharp questions sometimes just to make sure everything's going to be okay. Um, and it's great to hear young interpreters getting that advice that they really need at the start of their career. Yeah, one thing I, I would definitely like to cover is uh, training and and CPD because that's that's a topic that uh, we've covered several times in in various episodes because we find it so important and and I think both associations or regions, if you will, are doing very interesting stuff. For example, um, uh, Sarah, you mentioned uh, Almutis projects, the interpreter for interpreter training, so we can talk about this a little bit. And I know that the FAUCAD, um, on the other hand, has, or it seems to me as an outsider now, seems to be very 
strategic, I think, or very methodical, if that's a word, because I think you have a summer school and lots of activities that relate to um, what is called professionalization, especially for young inter or starting out interpreters. Um, and there's lots of training, I think, as well related to the young interpreter scheme. So maybe um, we we can cover that a little bit. What what your what your approach to um, training is, and maybe start with Karen. I'm not entirely up on exactly what's on offer at the moment because uh, FOCAD is privileged to be able to work with uh, BDU and BDU in fact has a separate training organization that's been founded to essentially manage all the commercial aspects of, of CPD also for the translators but equally for interpreters and conference interpreters and they basically run whatever back end you need um, with invoicing, billing and signing up and so on. Um, so I'm not entirely sure what, what is on the market at the moment. What I can say is that there are both language related uh, courses on offer, professionalizing your B, for instance, really polishing it up or trying to turn your C into a B, which uh, a lot of people are doing right now. Um, uh, Things that are particularly relevant for newcomers to the profession, for instance, taxation issues, how to manage your own books, um, insurance for interpreters, what makes sense, what is completely exaggerated. Um, you know what's what coming up as there. well? A really super interesting uh, webinar on the GDPR. <laughs> oh my God, I knew you were going to say I that. I'm sorry, I had to bring yeah. it up. Oh. <laughs> GDPR collection. So yeah, there is training on that kind of stuff. Let's not go there. Let's not name it by its name. And that is, is very, very helpful. I have to say um, just to know that if, if, if you need to build up more knowledge on a certain topic, then invariably over the course of a year or two, there will be something yeah. for you. Um, I should maybe also mention that uh, there's been some noises made about making CPD mandatory, a certain amount of it. In Italy, certainly, the um, Italian Association has introduced that, uh, which I believe has been made a, yeah, a condition yep, of membership now. So if you don't do it, you get, cut, you get kicked out, basically. Um, we have, we've, we've kind of explored whether this is something that our members would like. Um, the concept that we put on the table a couple of years ago wasn't quite thought through to the very end. But that was fine because we just wanted to test the waters and see how people would respond. I think people were more or less in favor. Had the concept been a little more detailed and a bit more thought through, we might have even uh, had it approved by the membership. But Again, um, it's it's evolving. It's something that people have been thinking about recently, whether it makes sense to force people into CPD. My personal take on it is that it, it makes sense to be reminded of the fact that it is important. And we all know what it's like. Life takes over. We all have really busy working lives. We have family. We go on holiday. And suddenly you've kind of run out of time to do anything like that. And it's already November or something. So then you think, oh, I'll do it next year. That's fine. Uh, except then, you know, January comes around and work starts. And, and, and uh, before you yeah. know, it's November again. <laughs> before you know, it's November. And uh, I, I think CPD is great um, because it reminds you that you definitely always have something new to learn and that you're never really finished with it. Um, I'm not going to go into the whole... EU blah with lifelong learning and stuff like that but I think it does make sense because when freelancers nobody forces us to do anything 
And so it's very easy to just be quite complacent and think, I'm fine, I'm operating within my own little bubble. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a reasonable enough interpreter. There's nothing more I can learn. I think that's really quite dangerous. Um, so I, I would like to see some kind of mechanism that would remind people at regular intervals that they really should maybe think about refreshing their knowledge of whatever subject. So yeah, um, we're, we're working on it. We're working on it. Well, and the whole comfort zone thing, I think, not only applies to training, it also applies to going out and socializing and that kind of, but yeah, <laughs> that's just a side note. I, I, I but was, I, I found that a good I, remark. I, I was going to say for anyone wanting to refresh their CPD on the uh, mental, physical and quality effects of remote simultaneous interpreting, <laughs> uh, I have just finished the 3000 word Shameless oh, plug. <laughs> Well, it's, it's actually an ITI plug because ITI have launched a research network and by the end of the summer, the first ebook from the ITI research network will be out and there will be a 3,000-word paper on basically a remote simultaneous interpreting good for you. I'm not going to give away the answer. I look very much forward <laughs> to reading that. I, I had to like look up 18 years' worth of research because I've been looking at it since the year 2000, started by the European Commission. And I had to like skim through 18 years worth of research and see what are the trends. There are trends. I'm not going to say them on this show because Barry Olson would probably hunt me down. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, though, I, I just want to mention two things. And it kind of also goes into the question that you asked earlier, Alex, about whether Fakadi and Aika are collaborating or will collaborate in the future. I think just a few months ago, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, the BDU actually officially announced that AIC and BDU are now officially collaborating in that AIC members are now getting members rates for um, CPD events and webinars. So I think that's a really good step. And again, it just shows that, you know, we're all in the same boat. We're all like kind of looking for the same training opportunities. So I think that just kind of, again, goes hand in hand with that. And the second thing that I want to mention is that um, this is more of a general statement on CPD is that you don't always need to rely on the associations to kind of feed you all the information that you're looking for. We just did it in, in Munich last year. Just a couple of colleagues and I were sitting, we all had a job together and then we were saying, you know, it would be really interesting if we could actually see kind of more in depth of what this conference is actually about. It was kind of like a purchasing department of an automotive company. And we were saying, you know, it would be really cool if business-wise we would actually know kind of their thought process. And then some of us went out looking for different websites of coaches. They actually coach uh, suppliers of the automotive industry on negotiations with the purchasing departments. And then we just kind of like arranged our own little CPD group. And I was like, six of us in the beginning. And then actually only three of us ended up going to the event because of jobs and stuff. But we basically just like arrange our own little CPD group. So that can happen too. And you don't always need to rely on the association for everything. I mean, it's great what they provide. It's amazing, but be the change. Do do the thing you want to see. <laughs> oh, he went there. He went there. <laughs> I, I'm just waiting for Alex to start singing now. <laughs> but I, I mean, th th this is... This sounds like a lot of conversations that we've been having in ITI, actually, is that member, our number one CPD issue that members come to us with is, you know, they're a specialized high-end translator or interpreter, and they say, where's the CPD for me? And our usual answer is, well, our CPD has to at least cover its cost and probably be profitable. So there are certain kinds of CPD that you just can't provide. So, you know, if someone's super specialized, so I know an interpreter who specializes in neurology conferences, 
no association could do neurology CPD to the level that he needs. But by the same token, we could be encouraging people saying, well, if you need training in neurosurgery on white rats, go and do it and write a report for us on what it was like to encourage other people to do the same. Um, I love Alex's idea of, you know, if you feel that you want CPD in this area, go do it. Um, and the more resources we have, the better. That, that's actually really like, quite true. And I think if, if you're, you, you are an, a recognised expert in a certain area and you feel quite alone in your field and you would like some more support and whatnot, then why, why don't you become a kind of trainer yourself? Why don't you share your knowledge? You know, that we know how we deal with knowledge. We know how we digest it. We know how we research it. We know how we acquire it. So why don't you share that with, with your colleagues? Um, I agree, looking to an association for that kind of level of detail is probably not going to uh, lead you anywhere. But what I was going to say in, in response to Alex, um, you know, people kind of do a conference and they feel that they've prepared really, really well, but they haven't really gotten right down to the detail. They haven't really 100% understood what this is about, although they were doing a good job. Um, yeah, why don't you maybe approach the client and say, look, th this has been such an interesting conference. Um, would you be happy if a group of us came to visit you at your premises one day? Could you maybe share your knowledge with us? Um, in fact, I know of colleagues who've done that. Um, they went to see, I think it was the production site of uh, a wind turbine manufacturer in the north of Germany. And I know for a fact, because it's actually a client of mine, that they were so chuffed that the interpreters had shown an interest in in their subject, that they were more than happy to clear their diaries and, and welcome them in because um, A, it's wonderful if, if somebody shares your passion like that and B, what better activity could there be to show that client that you value them? I mean, whenever they need interpreters next, you're the one they're gonna call because they know that you have a genuine interest and that you're willing to sort of, you know, deepen your knowledge on something. So yeah. I think showing initiative, I think, is what we need there. Um, and, and also, given that, that the market is, is becoming difficult in that it's becoming a commodity, um, the less visibility you have and the more exchangeable the service, I think the higher the risk that, you know, next time around the client is just going to choose somebody else. But I, I, I do believe quite, quite firmly that if, if you can make a positive impression on the, on the client in that, you know, not, not sort of pandering to them or anything, just quite, you know, being quite genuine. I mean, I do plenty of jobs that I really didn't, you know, I don't mind seeing the back of, but <laughs> every now and again, you know, something does, does come along where you think, oh, that's actually really cool. I'd love to do that again. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe, surprise, surprise, it's a repeat thing that they do every year. Um, you know, that, that is when it's really worth get, getting right into it and, and, and showing the client that you care, mm -hmm. you know? And that you, your output is going to be all the more better if you understand what's going on, um, and and if you if you have a real passion for it. Um, <laughs> uh, Sylvia Kalina once actually said something that I thought was was um, everyone knows her I guess um, if 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 they trained in Germany certainly everyone should. Uh, she used to say that it doesn't really matter how how boring the subject is that you're working on at that very moment you need to develop a passion for that thing, and and you need to not just you know, pretend, well, obviously pretend to some extent, but you need to sound like you're really into mm. it. And that is what makes a good interpretation much, much better. And I think she was she was quite 
quite right on that. And I and I, I once heard her say that in class, and the students were basically just rolling their eyes at each other. But I, I knew exactly do. what she meant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because the worst thing on earth, I think, for for everyone, including oneself, is is a job where you're not really having a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, sometimes the jobs on the surface, you go, this is going to be a tricky job, I don't know how I'm going to get through it. Those jobs where you have to work hard to make it work are sometimes the ones where at the end of the day you go, I'm glad I did that. Mm, Quite, quite. Yeah, and what I was going to say was that, I mean, we didn't really talk about remote interpreting or, you know, interpreting apps or anything like that, which is probably for the better. (laughs) But I think what you just... Yeah, no, I'm not. (laughs) What you just said there, Karen, I think perfectly encapsulates, I think, what what still uh, makes the difference, literally, between a man and the machine is that, you know, the passion and caring for the topic and and so on and so forth. So in in that respect, I think that was a great way to sort of slowly move towards the end. But I have... One final thing, which I think we we warned you of, um, because what we would like from from you, uh, Karen and Sarah, is a little bit of a of an elevator pitch. Uh, we called it. So, let's just assume this typical situation. You talk to an interpreting student, for example. You've given a presentation of your association, or you know, you, you've just talked about your your job, uh, and somebody approaches you, you know, potential interpreter or maybe budding interpreter. Why should I join? an association or why should I join your association? What would you tell them? Why join Ike? Well, there are several reasons for joining, of course. First of all, clients love Ike uh, because Ike as a brand is seen as a quality seal as the the, um, recent market study confirms as well. Ike stands for excellence and um, and, and premium quality. And also I've heard that more and more organizations uh, are asking to work only with interpreters who are members of a professional association. The second reason is the lovely and reliable colleagues that you will have, because uh, as I said, global networking, you will have access to really, really great roommates. Uh, and then also for you as a professional, of course, for knowing your worth, uh, it's it's worth striving for the entrance ticket because once in, uh, members can be part of a world-class network after all. So come and join the AIC family. That's all I, I have to say. <laughs> Okay, well, if I remember right, the question is, why should you join an association now? I, I, I don't necessarily want, want to pitch for Cardi because I think the reasons for joining are pretty much the same as, as for IEEC. And also, we're doing this in English, so I'm not entirely sure whether this is going out to a German audience. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> that having been said, um, I, I think that there is strength in numbers. And uh, the, the younger ones might not realize it yet, but I'm sure the people who've been around and, and, and been to the rodeo a few times will know this. It, it is getting more difficult. And mm. I think uh, it's it's good to have the backing of a community of interpreters that you know might not be as homogeneous as you think, but um, certainly that, that operate within the same, I think I've used the term before, the terms of reference and working to, to the same kinds of standards, um, operating according to the same kinds of values. Um, people who you can just, you know, call if, if you need some advice, um, a, a book, a directory um, that you can open, and, and find people that you need if you don't know anyone in, in your own direct uh, little, little bubble that you're in. Uh, and essentially, I think, you know, we're, we're in this more or less for life. I, I know that it's, it's not really the common thing to do anymore to stay in one profession for, for a very, very long time, maybe even a, a lifetime. But, you know, as interpreters, I think 
that is what we have chosen to do mm. unless uh, you know our hearing goes or something or, or we decide to oh. do something completely different <laughs> what <laughs> um you know we're, we're in it for, for the long run and mm. uh, why not actively help to shape the, the profession and, and shape the market um we're not passive recipients of what mm. goes on i think we have a lot that we can that we can do to to provide input to to how things go we can take responsibility for what we do um we're not yeah we're not passive i think it's really important to sort of recognize that you can actively shape what is going on in this profession and um Mm. essentially yeah you are the association you know we are the association you can't just look to the board and say do this do that um just remember that your actions uh leave a mark and uh good or bad (laughs) and um I don't know, you know, make it interesting. You're, you're in this for like 40 years. You might as well yeah. shape it the way you want it to be. Make it worth you know? the while. <laughs> um, I, yeah, make it worthwhile, exactly. And uh, you can't do that by yourself. No. And I think it's really important to club together with, with more or less like-minded colleagues. And, uh, yeah, that would be, I think, my um, very tall skyscraper elevator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, love is the way, you know. Yeah. <laughs> love is the way. Yeah. You know, maybe you get stuck in the elevator. Who knows? <laughs> you could. You might get stuck. Yeah. No one told me we were here for 40 years. That is slightly scary. Um, Surprise. Yes. The, the, there are certain jobs that if the client said you're doing this for the next 40 years, I would go, oh, please no. <laughs> certain jobs. You, does anyone else have a job they would love to go and relive because it was so much fun? Oh, yeah. I can think of a couple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. That has happened. It doesn't happen very often, it has to be said, but yeah. You're like, do you want me to do an extra couple of hours? Oh, sorry. Terms and conditions. No, not like that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, great. If somebody says, would you like to come back next year? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, you are certainly welcome to come back in a year, <laughs> Sorry. or even earlier. We can talk like about to... remote. Can I come back and have a remote fun yeah. fight? Yeah. Yes, we can have a a, a ninety minute yes. rant just between you, Karen, and oh, and Jonathan. We'll just oh, that's great. Uh, I think Karen and I are going to make friends on this. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to be friends. It's kind of ugly, actually. What we know about remote and everything in general, um, it should kind of have a health warning, like cigarettes and alcohol. <laughs> I agree for what it's worth, but that's another story. For yeah. another day. Let me just quickly <laughs> record the outro and then you, you guys can keep talking. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because I, I really wanted to, um, I really wanted to thank uh, both Karen Walker and Sarah King for joining us on the show. Um, it was the second episode on the same topic, but I hope it wasn't uh, boring. Uh, at least I think the three of us found it very, very interesting, um, very. especially since this was a little bit more interpreter focused. Whereas in the first episode, we were talking with representatives of associations that cater to both translators and interpreters. So it was certainly interesting to have this slightly different perspective this time around. So thank you for sharing your uh, not only your knowledge and your insight, but also your passion, I think, for being in an association, for running an association and for making sure that people, you know, join associations and, and, um, contribute to associations as, as well and make it interesting, as one of you said. So thank you very much for that. Um, that's it for today. Thank you for joining us. If you're still not a member in an association, we still love you. I mean, shame on you, but we still love you. But please go do some research, you know, just check which associations are, are available in your area and in, in your field of expertise. And don't forget, it's usually tax deductible. Um, it's 
always tax deductible. It's always tax deductible, exactly. And if you're a staff interpreter, you should still join it. You should still join it. There's a Monty Python song that just came into my head, but I can't pull it. Oh, please. Yeah, it is tax deductible. Absolutely. Please, let's go down Monty Python. That would be even funnier. Before we get into Monty Python, I wanted to say that if you, dear listeners, if you want to join the conversation, please, please feel free to do so. You can leave a comment below this episode on our website troubledterps.com and you can of course talk to us on social media we're at troubledterps on twitter and facebook.com slash troubledterps if you're still on facebook that's all right too um and please don't forget we have a live event coming up in november then is it the 19th of november guys i think it's the 19th of november anyway all the information is on troubledterps.com slash live it's going to be in london in the middle of November and um, tickets are going to go on sale very probably soon. by the time so you listen to this same. episode hopefully yes um, it's so the 17th it. of November um, 17th of November it's the 17th of November there you go <laughs> it's the 17th of November and we hope all of you are going to be there that's going to be a lot of fun so that's it for tonight bye bye and see you in the next thank episode. you guys bye bye, bye. Bye night. So, so that's the official goodbye. That's the official goodbye. Yes. Oh, that's actually really cool. I'd love to do that again. I'm sure our listeners would love it. <laughs>